So one of my recent songs that I like a lot was released two years ago. It's entitled, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. And part of the song goes like this, see the true and better Adam come to save the hell-bound man, Christ the great and sure fulfillment of the law, in him we stand. And then one stanza says, come behold the wondrous mystery, slain by death the God of life, but no grave could e'er restrain him, praise the Lord he is alive. What a foretaste of deliverance, how unwavering our hope, Christ and power resurrected as we will be when He comes. So as we study the book of Colossians, to me, Colossians 1 could be entitled, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. Because Paul just goes through that book and glories in the greatness of the work of Christ. He says, thanks be to the Father, in verse 12 of chapter 1, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For He has delivered us, Christ has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom. He in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Then He talks about the glory of Christ and He says in this wonderful statement, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on the earth, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And then he says in chapter 1, verse 21 is, and and you, when you were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled you and His body of flesh by His death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in Him. He just glories in the greatness of Christ. And uh, verses 26 and 27, he says, Behold the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. Behold the mystery that has been revealed, which is Christ in you, verse 27, the hope of glory. And again, he talks about the mystery Chapter 2, verse 2, he says that you might have the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Come behold the wondrous mystery. And now we come to chapter 2. I gave you an overview last week, but chapter 2, Paul is going to start dealing with something that was in the air that he saw coming over the horizon for this church in Colossae, which is the Colossian heresy. The Colossian heresy was a multi-roped reality that became a fabric of, of cacophonic nonsense. And it's a, the Colossian heresy involved Christ as one among many. The Colossian heresy involved you've got to keep rules and regulations and fast days and feast days and do's and don'ts to be made right in the presence of God, legalism. It involved a type of ultra-mysticism that says we can only approach God through angelic beings and magic words and visions. And, and every one of these had this in common. They downgraded the uniqueness and the person and the work of Christ. Thank you. And so the Apostle Paul, that's very kind of you. So, so the Apostle Paul is, is just saying, behold the wondrous mystery. And based upon beholding the wondrous mystery, he says, 
as we look at these things, he says, we proclaim Christ, warning every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete or mature in Christ. Then he says this, to this end, I toil, struggling, I love that word, struggling with all of his energy which he works within me. And then chapter 2, verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Struggling. And, and this, he's struggling because Paul understands, like the Bible says, that there is light and darkness in our culture. There is hope and there is despair. There is joy and there is sorrow. There is life and fullness and energy and there is a dead-end cul-de-sac of nothingness. And, and there is a devil and there is evil and there's a worldly system that wants to pull us down. And so we are battling for the souls of men and women. We're battling for the welfare of ourselves and the coming generation. There's a book that's recently been released. It's an 86-page book <clears throat> written by a French historian entitled Palermo. Palermo is a city in the middle of nowhere in Syria that was a giant crossroads of trade and commerce. And in the years before Christ, this beautiful city was built, and it's a world heritage site, or it was. And it says this in the book, it says, on May the 5th, 2016, a year ago, a Russian conductor of note named Valery Gregovic led a orchestra in the open-air performance of a well-known symphony to the Russians, and the venue was the beautiful Roman theater at Palermo, deep in the Syrian desert. And that's what it looked like when they did the concert, deep in the Syrian desert. Recaptured from the Islamic State only a month before, so it was a celebration of advancement. Unlike the other Roman documents in Palermo, many have been dynamited or disfaced by the Islamic State during its 10-month occupation. This particular Roman edifice had been intact largely because the Islamic State used it for mass public executions. And so they had this concert to celebrate. And immediately after the concert, the Islamic State radio out of Mosul, Iraq, pledged to stage its own concert when they retook the city, and they did retake the city in December of this past year. And the first thing they did was they destroyed this beautiful Roman theater. They took sledgehammers to it and dynamite and destroyed it, and this is what it looks like today. And in this book, this French historian says, nothing can show more clearly the real point of Islamic State's orgy of destruction at Palermo and elsewhere. All this violence is, he quotes, in Palermo an irreplaceable treasure. It's simply meant to, to demonstrate that the things that the West values, archaeological monuments, cultural pluralism, beautiful symphonic music, are of no value to true Muslims. We are different from you. Whatever you love and admire, this is what we shall destroy. And this is what we shall break. I think, I thought, that, 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 that's what the devil does. How evil and horrific and bizarre can you get? Whatever you value, we're going to destroy. Listen, the devil 
and the forces of evil want to destroy us. So that's why Paul is so struggling and laboring and pleading for these people to, to understand. He said, understand, we serve the one who said, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. He wrote in 1 Timothy 6 that, that, that godliness with contentment is great gain. In chapter 4, he says that, that godliness holds promise for the present life and also for the life that is to come. You could go back to the Old Testament and say, where Jeremiah says, I, I know the plans I have for you. I, I have plans that you have a future and a hope, whereas the devil is a liar and a thief and a killer and a destroyer. And, and so as he enters into this section where he's talking about the Colossian heresy, I think Paul gives us four standards for entering into spiritual warfare, four, four brief statements that, that help us understand how to think well and live well. And it's in chapter 2, verses 1 and following. Listen, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. And for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged be knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, and whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Four things. Number one is this. If I'm going to go into battle and live well and think well, I've got to understand there's a battle. John Calvin said this. And I carry this little quote with me. Calvin said this. We've been forewarned that an enemy relentlessly threatens us, an enemy who is the very embodiment of rash boldness and of military prowess, of crafty wiles and untiring zeal and haste. And every conceivable weapon of skill in the science of warfare he has, we must then bend our every effort to this goal, that we should not let ourselves be overwhelmed by carelessness or faint-heartedness, but on the contrary, with courage renewed, stand our ground in combat. He says, be aware that there is a, a spiritual warfare going on. So, so, so four points. Number one, if I'm to enter this warfare and think well and live well and do well, I must have people who are praying for me, struggling for my welfare. Now, I've got to have people in my life that pray earnestly that I will do well. I don't understand prayer, but prayer is assumed throughout the Bible. It's underscored, and it's, it, 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 it's just part, it's endemic to, to who we are. Uh, prayer is, here's the shorter catechism answer. What is prayer? Answer, prayer is a lifting up of our desires to the Lord. For all things agreeable with His will, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, with confession of our sins and grateful acknowledgement of His tender mercy. So, so first of all, prayer is a lifting up of our desires. The New City Catechism says it is a pouring out of our heart to God. I, I like that. It's a lifting up of our desires to the Lord in all things agreeable with His will. We, we pray biblical truth in the name of Jesus. The only way we can pray is to come in the mediator's name, whose name is Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's why we close our prayers with, in Jesus' name. It's not a zip code, it's, it's who we are theologically. We come to you in Jesus' name, or we pray in Jesus' name. And then we, we confess our sins. Lord, we want to get rid of anything that, that, that keeps us from understanding and seeing you and your glory and your goodness. And I'm a sinner, I need to confess my sins daily. 
And also with, with grateful acknowledgement of His tender mercies, that is prayer. And, and, and prayer is assumed throughout the Bible. And one of the most well-known passages on prayer is in the book of Acts. In Acts 6, there was, the church was growing and you had your Jewish widows who had been trained in anticipating the coming Messiah and they had become believers in Jesus. And you had your Gentile believers who had been grafted in, who didn't have a biblical heritage. And so some people in our church are saying, you know, you, you apostles who are Jews are showing favoritism to the Jewish widows and the Gentile widows were kind of being left out. And so the apostles came together and they said, you know, they called the church and they said, you know, we, we, we've got a lot to do. So, so we want you to appoint men who are full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, and have a good report or a good reputation and let them be servants in the church. We must give ourselves to prayer and the Word. And we believe that potentially that was the first line of demarcation between deacons and pastors or elders. So, so we want to meet the needs of our people. But, but the pastors or elders must give themselves to prayer and the Word. And I read that and I say to myself, self, that means that, that elders' meetings and staff meetings should be permeated with prayer. But because in God's kindness, He uses prayer to impact and change and move. And I don't fully understand that. But prayer is presupposed. In Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul goes through this putting on the armor of God. And a lot of times we just stop with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But then Paul says this, and, and, and praying, <clears throat> praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. So praying, prayer and supplication. To this end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, so, so Paul says, you, you pray in the Spirit, you have prayer and supplications, and you have a, a persevering spirit prayer. So my first point is just very basic. We must have people who are laboring for us in prayer. And we must labor for other people. I just thank God for praying parents and grandparents. When we get to heaven, I, I believe, and I, somebody sitting here told me this years ago, she said to me, I, I think in a large part we are living off the prayers of my granddaddy. Oh, wow. I, I think that's right. I don't understand that, but prayers. Praying parents. Grandparents. I, so my question is, who is struggling for you in prayer? You may even want to walk up to somebody and say, don't answer me today. But I want you to have a solemn covenant with me to pray for my family and their well-being in the months to come. Now, don't, don't answer yet, because this is a pretty strong commitment to pray for us consistently. Prayer is absolutely essential. Listen to chapter 4, verse 12, regarding the struggle of prayer. It says this, Epaphras, 
who is one of you from Colossae, he's a servant of Jesus Christ, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Who's struggling for you? Who's praying for you? Who's coming before the living God in the name of Jesus and, and, and praying for you? There are two women in this church who for years and years prayed for me. Many of you know them. Beth and Eleanor. And they just prayed. They carry around these big Bibles. And they'd have Kleenex in them because when they prayed, they would weep. And they just they prayed for people. And they gave themselves to prayer. And I thought, man, that, that wow. So let me just show you this. This is, I have a prayer file I carry around with me. It's amazingly simple. This is how I pray. I have a, a set time, a set place that I pray. I try to do it a couple, three times during the day, but especially in the morning. So I've got a June birthdays, church members. If you're a church member, I pray for you on your birthday. I frequently will see people out and about, maybe on Sunday, and I'll say to them, happy birthday. And they'll go, whoa, how did you, man, you're impressive. I say, no, I read your name this morning. You don't have to be, it's not that, I'm, my short-term memory isn't that shot. I, I remember that. And, and so, you know, there, there's, this, is, this is the list of the kids. No, this is our missionaries. This is our Barnabas partners. We, we have a Barnabas partner relationship with missionaries around the world that we send them books, we pray for them, we call them, we visit them, they come here, they stay here. And so I've got it divided during the week. Uh, the list of the kids going to Philadelphia this week from our church and the sponsors. Uh, the, Campus outreach on Thursday, elders on Monday, my community group, my, my men's group that I didn't get to spend time with on, on Thursday. These are some pastors from North Africa that lay their lives on the line every day to take the gospel of Jesus to their people. And I pray for these dear brothers, two or three pages of them that I've met in the last few years. I mean, I, I, you know, a certain day to pray for, for PCA. I, I just do that. And so, on, on, on your birthday, if you're born on the 6th of the month, now this is a very difficult system, so please bear with me. You've got to think hard. On the 6th of the month, I pray through Psalm 6. It's, it's tough. You've got to hang with me. You know? um, and if it doesn't resonate, I go to Psalm 36 or Psalm 66. I just go through the Psalms that way. So, if your birthday's on the 9th of the month, what Psalm am I praying? Thank you, nine. Now, I told you it's tough. You've got to think through this, all right? Psalm 9. I mean, so that way I'm praying the Bible, and I'm praying Scripture. So, so I, I would just ask you to struggle. I believe this. You don't have to believe this. I believe it may be harder to pray now as, as a follower of Jesus, in some ways, than ever before. For several reasons. But the primary reason being is we have, you know, our smartphones have only been around since 2008. Think about that, nine years or so. Uh, and most of us cannot imagine life without oxygen, food, or our smartphone. Those are the three, the three elements we've got to have. 
So our attention span is getting, now we have the attention span of a gnat, which is a nanosecond. And it's hard to be quiet and seek God. You've got to train yourself to do it. So a place, a time, and some type of system. And have struggle and prayer for people. If I'm going to do well in spiritual warfare and you, I've got to be a struggler in prayer and I've got to be struggled for in prayer. Now, number two, I need to be encouraged in heart. Paul says right here, he says, I want you to be uh, encouraged in heart. As, as your hearts are knit together. So I, I take number two, I've got to be encouraged in heart. And how am I encouraged, encouraged in heart? You go back to chapter one. You, you behold the glory and the goodness and the mercy and the power of Christ. If I'm going to be encouraged in heart, I've got to go to chapter one and say, thanks be to God for the forgiveness of sins through the work of Jesus. When I was alienated and hostile in mind and disobedient and doing really stupid and evil things and thinking them, God made me alive in Christ. And God has taken me from the kingdom of darkness and delivered me into the kingdom of His beloved Son, into the light. And I have forgiveness of sins, and I am blameless before Him, not based upon my performance, but based upon the work of the cross. And I rejoice in that, and as I rejoice in the goodness of Christ, I am encouraged in my heart, or or built up or comforted in my heart. And as I understand that, that He is eternally God and eternally man, and the sacrifice for sin, and He's the one who's praying for me, I'm encouraged in heart. So, struggle with prayer, encouraged in heart. Number three is, I've got to be someone who is, has continually has my heart knit together in love with other people. He says here, may you be encouraged in heart as your hearts being knit together in love with one another. Knit together in love. God is Trinitarian in the core of His being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God has always been in relationship with Himself before time began. This is wild. And if God is a Trinitarian God, a community, and if I am made in the image of God, and you're made in the image of God, and you are, then listen to me. You were made to be involved in community. You were made to be involved in the lives of other people as you nourish them and receive nourish from them as the Holy Spirit works in your heart. And so we have all of these incredible statements. Uh, For example, in in Hebrews chapter 3, the writer of Hebrews says, take care, brothers. Take care. Least there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to turn away from the living God, but exhort one another. Day after day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that no one will be be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So he says, guard each other. Guard each other. There's a struggle going on. I need the friendship of brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. I'm going to take some of you guys down the thrilling days of yesteryear, all right? When I was growing up, these are some of the people I lived with. The Lone Ranger, who was a sidekick. Tonto, yeah. Now, just talking as an older guy, those of you who are younger, The Lone Ranger was a really good show. I I didn't even see the recent movie because it got such horrible reviews, I said, I'm not even going to watch it. But The Lone Ranger, Tonto, and what was The Lone Ranger's horse's name? Silver. What What did he say? 
high old silver and away. But the Lone Ranger operated in anonymity, no one knew him, and he took on every bad guy and bad Indian in the West and beat him badly. He was the man, Lone Ranger. Uh, autonomous individual, he had Tonto, but meh, really he was the man. And, and then you have this guy. This is pretty sad, not in my opinion. I, I used to watch this. Batman. Now, the Batman that I grew up with was pretty wimpy, to be honest with you. Uh, he, couldn't, he couldn't really beat a bad guy up who was on life support. He was a pretty, he had Robin and he had Alfred, and we've had some really good Batmans lately. But uh, Batman, but I, I still watch Batman. But even Batman, you know, doo -doo 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 -doo. Batman was all about he's the man. And then this guy. Superman. Again, not, not the best Superman as you look back, but uh, I used to watch Superman all the time as a child. And um, Superman. Faster than what? More powerful than what? Able to what? And you say you can't memorize Scripture. <laughs> oh, I'm too old to memorize. Hey, you know the words to the Superman song, for heaven's sake. Anyway, su Superman. And uh, so Superman worked at the, the where? The Daily Planet with Lois and Jimmy and Perry White was his boss. And they had no idea that Clark Kent was Superman, which means their pair of observation were horrible. I mean, give me a break. Pair of glasses, hides it all, you know. But again, Superman operated on the basis of anonymity. The only thing that could take him down was what? Kryptonite, right. So, so again, and then other people. You, uh, uh, I think of, um, historically, Sergeant York, World War I, a Tennessee Quaker who didn't want to fight but had a change of mind and goes to Europe and takes supposedly like 120 Germans um, by himself and kills all, all these guys and is awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. And then World War II, Audie Murphy, who became a, a star on movies and the Congressional Medal of Honor. And, and then in my later, all of us have James Bond. You see, James Bond really didn't need anybody because he was the man. I mean, he had some crazy gidgets, but he, he was the man. And then, regrettably, Jason Bourne. I, I don't get the Jason Bourne movies. They're just kind of stupid. Blowing up things. He doesn't know who he is. Nobody else knows who he is. And he doesn't know where he came from. And I don't get Jason Bourne. But anyway, it's Jason Bourne against the world. He, he's got 15 passports and doesn't know but one language, but that's beside the point. And, and then we have Gladiator, a great movie. But, but a slave took down the whole Roman Empire by himself. And I loved it, but still. And then the Heisman Trophy. There's already a buzz about who's going to win the Heisman Trophy this year. I used to like the Heisman Trophy until last year they gave it to the wrong dude. And now I've sworn off the Heisman Trophy. The guy that should have won it didn't get it. And so I'm mad at the Heisman voters. But, but you know, football's not far away, which gladdens the heart. And I'll, I'll, I'll see these guys score a touchdown and they'll do the Superman thing or I've always wanted an offensive lineman to come up and just smack him in the neck and say, you know, 
I'm in the trenches, bleeding, getting a crevice in the line for you to waltz through, and you're here acting like Superman. You're not Superman. It takes a team to score a touchdown. So, so I think one of the curses and the joys about being an American is our belief in radical individuality. It's not biblical, it's not sane, it's not historical, and it's a lie. I need the community of Christ. I need people who are struggling in prayer for me, who love me, who call me to task. I need brothers and sisters who walk with me. So, so let me give you a, a different view of, of community. I grew up with this show. This show ran from 1960 to 1968, 249 episodes, The Andy Griffith Show. And The Andy Griffith Show, they always talked about Mount Pilate. I could see Mount Pilate from my front yard growing up. So Mayberry supposedly took place somewhere where I lived. But if you've ever lived in a small town, every small town has its Otis's. Remember Otis? And, and then you've got Floyd the Barber who, and, and Gomer and, and Goober. And all those guys were never on Jeopardy, okay? And, and then you've got Barney, who always carried a gun but had the bullet in the front pocket by the inimitable Don Knotts. This is great. And then you had really the, the Aunt, Aunt B and Helen Crump and these people. And you had, of course, the lovable Andy Mayberry. But the, the, the thing I like about Andy Mayberry is it underscores, if you just look at it and enjoy it, it underscores the absolute importance of community. They lived together. They were patient with each other. They forgave one another. They were in each other's lives. Community. They weren't Superman and Batman and Gladiator. So in 1999, I think it was, there was a professor at Harvard University named Robert Putnam who wrote an essay that became a book in 2003, and, and the book was entitled Bowling Alone. And it was a study of American life from 1950 to 1983. And he said the, the, the growing crescendo, really it was a tsunami, is that Americans from 1950 to 1983 became more and more isolated. He said the 1950s, right after World War II, they had all these bowling leagues where these guys and women wore these funky, ugly shirts, their name crocheted here, and they would bowl together, and they would eat hot dogs and drink beer and Coke and have a good time. And, and you had the Lions Clubs and the Kiwanis and all these civic organizations that people came together, and people built houses with a front porch where they had rocking chairs, so they just assumed people would stop by and visit. But it became more and more and more isolated to where it says, now in America, we are bowling alone. And he says, the death of community is a great, great sorrow and tragedy in the life of America. And, and, and we, we are the body of Christ. If I want to do well, I've got to have my hearts knit together and love to other people. I just happened to be in Nepal, speaking at a missions conference in January of 2008. And in January of 2008, an internationally known man named Sir Edmund Hillary died. Now, Sir Edmund Hillary was from New Zealand, and he was the first person, I read his book when I was a child, the first person to climb Mount Everest. 
And, when, and he later became a, a devotee of helping out New Zealand and the sponsored schools and literacy programs and medical clinics. And he, he was a, a wonderful man, Sir Edmund Hillary. But I was in Nepal. It was interesting to talk to the Nepalese and to read their newspapers and to hear their accounts. They kind of laughed. They said, well, yeah, Sir Edmund Hillary was the first person to climb Mount Everest, but there was a little guy that went up ahead of him and kind of pulled him to the top. It was a Nepalese Sherpa, and his name was Tenzig Norye. And he said, yeah, it was really Tenzig Norye and Sir Edmund Hillary, but that's not the way you Westerners reported. And really, they got to the top because a few hundred feet down were a group of Sherpas carrying all types of food and equipment for Sir Edmund Hillary so that he could get up there. He would never have made it. I mean, the, the, the way I read the book is Sir Edmund Hillary climbed the last 3,000 feet with one arm tied behind his back. It just, it just feeds us. No, he climbed it because he was with a guy named Tenzig Norgay, a Sherpa of mountain climbing expertise, and there are a group of Sherpas that carried all their stuff up the glacial mountain. I just thought, I need the body of Christ. I need continuity. I need to see people. I need to be in a community group. I need to be in a men's group. I need just to be with I've been kind of out of it the last few weeks. I've missed seeing people on a consistent basis. I need the body of Christ. I need brothers and sisters in the Lord. And I, I don't know, I'll make this statement, but really, I'm talking to people that aren't here, so maybe they'll get it clairvoyantly. It's a great sorrow to me that, that, uh, that we have forgotten that Sunday is a day of worship and devotion and refreshment to go into the next week. I, I need to be with the people in the body of Christ. I need to, to sing hymns and to drink tea or coffee and to hear the Word and to walk and to laugh and to see beautiful children that are growing up or, or to see newly married or, 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 and just, just to be with, with, with older people who are single now and just, just, just to walk with them. I need the body of Christ. I, I need it to be uh, a day that's glorious. Last week I was walking the hall and a, a young woman came out of a classroom. I say she's young. She was, she's far 40, 42, which to me is really young. You know, it's barely beyond puberty. You know, just, just two years beyond puberty. And she said, I, I just want you to know I'm, I, I'm moved. So what happened? She said, we had a 27-year-old young man who just moved to our community a few weeks ago to come into our classroom and say to me, she's kind of helps out with the children's ministry, I want to teach children this summer and give somebody a break. She said, 27, new guy in the community, not married, and he wants to teach children. I am moved. And I thought, thanks be to God. Then I thought, that should be the norm. That should be the norm. We're part of the body of Christ. We want to serve and care and love and nurture the next generation and pray for them and struggle with them and care for them and love them. So make an appeal. We have Vacation Bible School coming up. Two weeks of Vacation Bible School starts a week from Tuesday. And we have 900 kids already signed up. 900. And those of you that have agreed to teach or rethinking your commitment at this point, 900 kids. 
But we have, for the first week, we need 18 small group leaders, and the second week, we need 30 small group leaders. And Steve Tuck says, I love Steve Tuck. He says that they always respond. People always respond, but make the appeal. So that's the appeal. So, so prayed for, encouraged in heart, hearts knit together in love with other believers. And fourthly, I must see on an ongoing basis the wonder and the grandeur and the greatness of Christ. Listen to this. To me, this is a superlatives being on, piled on top of superlatives. Paul says, your heart being knit together in love, number four, point four, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, and whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So I, I'm struggled for and prayer. I have my I'm encouraged in heart as I see Christ, and as I'm encouraged in heart, I'm a contributor to the body of Christ, and as I struggle for and I see Christ and I'm part of the body of Christ, then I can really glory in the superlative greatness of Jesus. And that's how I enter spiritual warfare. I I must see the greatness of Christ in what what I do. The Colossian heresy always detracted from the grandeur of Jesus. Speak His name, sing His name, always pray in His name, glory in Him. Let Him be the center of your life, not an appendage, but let everything flow from the reality of Christ. And I believe God will bless us. So let's pray. Lord, thank You for this day. Thank You for the sober, glorious, beautiful book called Colossians. Thank you, you've preserved it for us in the Scripture. Thank you that in the midst of a culture that said Christ is one among many, the Apostle Paul says with great clarity that Jesus is God, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Thank you that in a culture that talked about rules keeping and earning your way into the favor of God, that the Apostle Paul, who used to think that way, said, know that we are holy and blameless in His sight only by the cross. Thank you that in the midst of a culture that talked about mystical experiences and magic words and incantations, the Apostle Paul said, it's all about Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. May the greatness of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, compel us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.